to the part in the book of Exodus that we've been kind of looking forward to all semester. We're coming to the actual Exodus. You know, this is what the book is named after, this story when uh, Moses is able to part the Red Sea and Israel uh, escapes from Egypt. But uh, there's been a lot leading up to this story that we've been looking at. And what we've looked at so far is that Uh, The background of the book of Exodus is that God has made a promise to a people, Israel, his people, that he is going to bring them to a good land and he's going to use them to bring the knowledge of him to the world. So he's been, uh, this promise has stood for hundreds and hundreds of years and along the way God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt for a long, long time, hundreds of years. And Moses came along, and uh, God used Moses. God is in the process of using Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. And we looked at the story of the plagues and how God brought all these plagues on Egypt so that Pharaoh would finally agree to let Israel go. And last week we looked at the Passover, the final plague, uh, where Pharaoh finally said, okay, you can go. And so Pharaoh lets God's people, Israel, go. And it doesn't take him long, though, to change his mind. And so he lets them go, and then he says, you know, what have I done? And he starts to basically chase them down. And that's where our story picks up tonight. Uh, So it's a little longer of a passage, uh, so bear with me, but uh, let me read it for us. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And uh, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Uh, Let me pray for us again. Father, we pray that as we look at this word of yours, that you would guide us. We pray that you would speak to us, Uh, to our hearts and that you would use your word to reveal more of yourself to us and to change us. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we finally made it to the climactic moment of the book, the, the actual exodus. And along the way, leading up to this, what we've been talking about here at RUF on Thursday nights is this idea of salvation. And some things we've talked about are that a lot of times when we talk about sal- the idea of being saved or salvation, that uh, oftentimes we're kind of like, what do we need to be saved from exactly? Uh, most people uh, who are not Christians find that idea to be kind of ridiculous, I think, that, you know, I don't feel like I need to be saved particularly, like my life is okay, what do I need to be saved from? And so uh, and this is the moment where God actually saves. So I wanted to take a look at that question tonight. And I want to look at what do, we need to be, what do they need to be saved from in this passage? Uh, how are they actually saved? And finally, why it works. So first of all, I want to look at what do these Israelites need to be saved from? And on the surface, you could answer the question pretty simply, right? Slavery in Egypt. Uh, the Egyptian army is like following them to the sea. So they, we could say they need to be saved from Egypt. But there's, I think there's something deeper going on that we can see in the first paragraph of what we read there. Uh, because when they get closer to where they're up against the sea and the army's closing in on them, what do the people start to do? They start to complain, right? And what did they say? Like, is it because there were no graves back there that you took us out here to die? Like, didn't, and then they start to be, they say some things that are actually kind of delusional. They say, like, didn't we tell you that to leave us alone and let us stay in Egypt? Which they never said. Um, So they're being really delusional. And so I want to ask you, what what are they showing that their real problem is? Uh, their real problem isn't that they're stuck in Egypt uh, so much as their problem is that 
they are actively avoiding life with God. Um, God is in the midst of saving them from slavery, and instead they're going like, uh, slavery please, like I'd like to go back to slavery. And they're choosing it. That's not bothering me. I hope it's not bothering you. I love my daughter, so it's not a big deal. Um, Anyways, um, so they're saying, slavery, please. I would like to go back to slavery. It's better than this. Uh, And why is it better in their minds? They're choosing slavery because they know that life. And right now, their future is uncertain. You know, God has promised them that he's going to lead them to a good place, but they're looking at uncertainty. Uh, They can't, in other words, control how it's going to happen. Now, if you think about it, what should they have said? If, you know, if we're thinking straight, what we might have, if we were them, what we might have said is like, hey, God, remember when you unleashed like 10 consecutive plagues not that long ago? Maybe you could do another one of those. Um, They had a lot of reason, in other words, to believe that God could save them. Uh, They had tons of reason, including the promise of God that he could save them. Um, Instead, they say, no, let's go back to Egypt. At least we knew what we were doing there. Uh, The idea of salvation, so thinking about ourselves, the idea of salvation will not make sense to us if we don't see, if we cannot identify with this idea that the Egyptians are going through. That our problem isn't just that we're enslaved. Our problem is that we actively choose slavery. The human condition is that we actively choose slavery. And now you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't do that. I don't choose slavery, but I want to ask you, Uh, have you ever said something like, have you ever made a big mistake, like done something really horrible and wrong and said, I'll never do that again, and then done it again? Yes, I have. Um, Have you ever said something like, you know, well, my obsession with school is taking over my life and it's making me like ridiculously anxious. So something's got to change. So this semester is going to be different than last semester. And it's no different. Has that ever happened? Or have you ever said like, I've gotten out of a really bad relationship and you're like, what am I, what was I thinking dating that person? I'll never date, you know, be in a relationship like that again. And then next you know next person that comes around similarly bad relationship Um, we do these kind of things all the time if you don't if you don't you're not being truthful to yourself we all do these things all the time and the point is that when what we're talking about here is that we always think about salvation you are always looking for something to save you at all times And the Bible would call that idea worship. The Bible would say that is what you're worshiping. So as you think about your own life, what is it that you are worshiping? What is driving you? What are you looking to save you? And, you know, after you figure that out, ask yourself, can it deliver? Can it save me ultimately? Or is it just something that's helping me cope right now? cope with the way things are right now. C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian thinker, I quote him all the time, he said this, and he has a little essay called The Way of Glory, and he has this 
a phenomenal passage where he says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You, you see that illustration? He's saying, we're like that kid playing in the mud and someone says, you want to go on vacation? You want to go on a cruise? And we say, no, I'm happy in the mud because we don't know what that is. In the book of Exodus, God's people are being saved from life apart from him, which is a life that they would choose every time. Um, you know, they would always choose to be apart from him, not because it's better. It's definitely not better, but... Feels, life apart from God feels familiar and it's what they know and when you live your life apart from God you get to control your own destiny or so you think um, and they, they understand something that we need to understand which is that you can't uh, you know you're either serving those things the things we tend to serve like money or sex or comfort or status or pleasure so you're either serving those things or you're serving God Um, the one thing you're not doing is serving nothing and so when they're faced with the choice and you know God when you're serving God God can take you anywhere and God's not obligated to show you how he's gonna he promises to make your life good ultimately he promises a good outcome to your life but he does not promise that he's going to show you how to get there and so it takes trust and instead God's people who are a picture of us choose the life we know Um, and you know the, the mentality is I can go back and life will be hard but you know I know I'll get fed and I know what's coming the next day and you know somewhat secure uh, meanwhile, if I serve God, he can take me anywhere. If I serve God, like, I don't know how this Red Sea thing is going to work out at the moment. Even though he has promised to bless us. Uh, they should want God. But instead, they want the life they know. They want the life where they feel like they're in control. Kind of. You know, they're not in control, but they feel like they're, it's more in control Um, And we need to see ourselves in these people in this story. We need to see ourselves in the Israelites. Uh, We need to see that our problem isn't that uh, we have these sins that we do and uh, they kind of make God unhappy. Our problem, that's not our problem. The problem is that we resist God actively. Uh, We resist the life that he wants for us. And instead we actively try to serve or save ourselves through all kinds of things. So that's why they need to be saved. That's why we need to be ultimately saved. And now the next question is, how are they saved? Uh, In our story, how does it happen? Well, it happens by a very decisive act of God, right? And in the story, God does it all. And verse 14 up there, it actually says it. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God does everything. Um, in the story, he puts a—he actually puts a cloud, a big cloud between 
the Israelites that are moving outward and the Egyptians that are chasing them. And so there's this actual barrier between them and there's darkness on the Egyptian side and light on the Israelite side so that they're, it's like he's prodding them along on the way and, um, because God knows he's got to do it all. Uh, these people are going back to, to slavery unless God actually brings them out. Uh, and then he uses Moses to part the Red Sea. And they actually walk across on dry land through the Red Sea. And it closes back up behind them. Because um, God knows they'll go back unless there's an actual physical barrier preventing them from doing so. Um, and amazingly, all they do is walk. You know, there's, they're kind of just being prodded along and they walk to freedom uh, because God is taking them there. Now, some of you, I'm sure, are, have the question, like, did this really happen? And plenty of people out there would say, you know, this is clearly a myth. This didn't happen. The parting, the Red Sea, like, like that's insane. This is a myth. But what I want you to see is that there's actually no way this could be a myth because no myth would make its own people look this bad. Like this is, if this is a myth, it's an Israelite myth and the Israelites look like idiots in it. And what it's showing is that God's not, God doesn't save good people. He saves people that need help and that need to be saved. Uh, so, you know, it's not written like a myth at all. No, there's no other myth out there that makes its own people look this bad, look this unfaithful. Uh, and yet what it shows is that there's the God of the Israelites saves unfaithful people. Um, and you need to see how that's totally different from every other religion and every line of thinking about God that there is. Uh, he doesn't, God doesn't provide a path for salvation. He actually saves. He actually does everything to save his people. Um, you know, sometimes there people talk about how you become a Christian and they say, like, it's kind of like if God throws you a life raft and it's the life raft is Jesus and all you know, you're drowning in the water and all you need to do is just grab onto it and you can be saved. Um, that's actually not a very good illustration because what this is saying about salvation is that it's more like you have already drowned and are at the bottom of the sea and God scubas down there and lifts you up and resuscitates you and brings you back to life. That's a better picture of what it's like to be saved. And, you know, why is that a big deal? Why do we need to make that distinction? Uh, because it means you can't lose your salvation if you haven't. If you're if the way you, you're connected to God is not based on anything that you do. That means you can't lose it by doing something. Just critically important for us who make mistakes all the time. Um, what does the way that God saves Israel mean for us? You know, what, what does it mean that God does it all? Well, it means that we can stop earning our way to God. God does not require you to earn your way to him. Uh, this God saves messed up people, and he does it all. He doesn't wait for his people to get their act together and then say, okay, like, I'll take you. He saves them so that he can give them new life. Uh, my favorite way to illustrate this is what it's like to go to the dentist. 
What do you do the day of a dentist appointment? If you're like me, you floss harder than ever and you brush harder than ever and you do everything you can to make your mouth clean because you haven't been keeping up with it for the last six months and so you show up at the dentist kind of like, yeah, I've been flossing every day. And, uh, and you know, when we do that, when I do that, what I'm trying to do is like prove to this dental hygienist that I don't need her. I'm trying to prove to her that I can do it myself. And uh, God is not a dentist. You know, God does not, the one thing God doesn't want you to do is get your act cleaned up and then start a life with him. Uh, he wants your life with him to start at its messiest point. And he wants to clean you up. That means we can be honest about our struggles. You know, one thing I want for RUF is for it to be a place where we can know each other and be known and be honest about who we are and what we struggle with and not face embarrassment or shame or condemnation because we're a community of people that need to be saved, that need God to save us. Uh, It means that we can learn to love people that are not natural for us to love Uh, because when we see these people, we'll begin to see ourselves in them. Uh, we'll begin to see their need as similar to the need that we know that we have. Uh, So that's how God saves. God does it all. And what I want to look at in closing is how, why does it work? Like how is God actually able to do that for us? And if you, in the book of Exodus, what happens time and time again is that God's interacting with Moses Like the people are saved, but God is, Moses is the one stepping in for the people time and time again in the book of Exodus. And what Exodus points to and what we say every week is that there's an ultimate Exodus that happens when Jesus comes. And Moses, Jesus is kind of like the true Moses. He's the better Moses because Jesus steps in for us as well. And what you need to understand about salvation is that it can only happen if Jesus steps in. And what we'll see in the New Testament is that Jesus does step in for God's people. And not only does he step in and intercede and say, you know, save them, but he actually accomplishes the decisive act that saves. And it's the cross. I want you to picture, you know, we read this gruesome story just now about the waters closing in on these enemies of Israel, God's enemies. Uh, They're in the middle of the Red Sea, and it's been parted, and all of a sudden the waters, it, it must have been chaos, right? Horses and chariots, an army full of people, the waters just flooding in. Imagine the chaos. That is a picture of what Jesus endured when he died on the cross. Uh, As Jesus is nailed to the cross, what he's experiencing is like the flood of everything that we deserve because of the way we have been just being poured out on Jesus. Uh, Like, you know, there might as well have been waves crashing down because as Jesus dies, he says, why have you forsaken me? It's utterly confusing. It's utterly chaotic. And what we believe and what Exodus, this story points to is that Jesus 
was flooded with the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could walk on dry land, so that we could be saved. Um, The resurrection, you know, Jesus is raised from the dead, and what that means is that he is alive today to step in for you and me today. Every other thing that you serve, every other thing that you look to to be saved will enslave you or kill you. But Jesus is the only, what makes Jesus different is that Jesus will be killed for you. Even when we act like the Israelites in this passage. Even when we're the people that say like, you know, I'd rather go back to slavery. If you allow that truth that Jesus is willing to die for those types of people, people like us, if you allow that to sink into your heart, what that means is you'll be saved. And the more you allow that truth to sink into your heart, the more you'll serve him. And what that will look like is true freedom. Uh, Not freedom to just do whatever, but freedom to live the life that you were meant to live. Uh, I'm going to close just by praying that God would make that happen in our lives. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that we are so much like those Israelites that would readily choose to live life without you. You know that that's our tendency, yet we pray that you would make us different. We pray that you would allow this truth, uh, that you uh, delight to save people like us, to sink into our hearts. Uh, We pray that you would make us different. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.